0: So Money, episode 856, Tanya Rapley, founder of MyFab Finance. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
1: housing facility for low-income women. Some of them, you know, were doctors, ballet dancers, performers on Broadway, attorneys, and they were spending their retirement in this low-income housing facility. And some of them, it was not unusual for me to be walking to the train and some of the residents would be begging for money at the subway. I was like, wow, life comes at you fast. And it, if you don't plan properly for your future, this is how you could possibly end up.
0: Our guest today says she was driven to create financial freedom for herself as well as Others, because of life's experiences, like the one you just heard, as well as her own battles with money and domestic violence, all led her to take the reins in her life, including starting her own business. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host Farnoosh Tarabi. Glad to have you here. Our guest today is Tanya Rapley. She started a blog called My Fab Finance in 2013, which has blossomed into a highly successful financial education business. Today, Tanya is an entrepreneur, millennial money expert, consultant to brands, professional speaker, and as of just a few months ago, a brand new mom. Tanya is regularly featured in national media and is the author of a personal finance book called The Money Manual, a practical money guide to help you succeed on your financial journey. So glad to have her on the show today to share her entrepreneurial journey, the lessons learned, and where she hopes to travel next. Here's Tanya Rapley. Tanya Rapley, welcome to So Money. Hey, so Hi. good to be here. Well, firstly, congrats! Twelve weeks into becoming a new mom. How's the baby? How are you? How's the family? Um, I'm just fresh out of being hazed. Um, he's great. I
1: feel like I got hazed in a mommyhood, but he's fantastic and um, just learning. You know, motherhood is humbling. No matter what you've done in your life, your baby does not care. And so, just, just
0: <laughs> you know, this baby. If only is it a he. Is it he? Yeah. Only he knew who his mommy is. Uh, Miss Rapley, millennial money expert, creator of the award winning site MyFab Finance, uh, the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprise Magazine. You have a book. You have, I believe you just sold a podcast or something. I read on Twitter, which is how I got so, uh, I kind of went down this Tanya Rapley rabbit hole one day because I was like, I need to know everything about this woman. She's, on to doing amazing work because your work spans so much. Like you're on everything.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we just uh, we got our first development deal for a scripted podcast um, that is a, a fictional story, but it has financial education principles weave throughout it. And so I'm really excited about that. And just figuring out, you know, if I do want to move into the content creation space a little more, Um yeah. I,
0: well, I, I feel like you're already a content creator. I mean, you, you run this blog, you have a book, you have a community that comes to you for information as a as a leader in this space. Um so let's let's go back maybe to two thousand thirteen, was it, when you launched MyFab Finance? Yeah. And I know this came at a time in your life when you yourself were trying to learn about money. And I, I thought it was incredible when I read that you were working two jobs, going to graduate school and working on this site. Um, so I mean, I guess you're, you're good at the, the multitasking, but like what compelled you to take this on? Because this, this is such an endeavor. And did you know back then in 2013 that this was going to actually be your full time focus?
1: I had no idea it would be my full-time focus. At the time, I was working at a nonprofit in New York City, working with low-income women. And some of these women were, you know, we had, we, so we had a housing facility for low income women and, um, some of them, you know, were doctors, ballet dancers, performers on Broadway, attorneys, and they were spending their retirement in this low income housing facility. And some of them, you know, there, it was not unusual for me to be walking to the train and some of the residents would be begging for money at the subway. Oh. And, um, I was like, wow, life comes at you fast. And it, it, if you don't plan properly for your future, this is how you could possibly end up. And so it was that was the impetus for starting My Cap Finance. And then I decided I went to my own place in New York City and I was denied. And they told me that I needed to get a co-signer who made eighty times my rent. And that my parents were like, Hell no, we're
0: not signing Eighty a- times? 80 times. My I mean, mama- who can do that? Who- <laughs> it's, I should do a whole episode on how you got your first place in, in New York. Like as a 20-something-year-old, how did you actually secure that?
1: crazy you know and it's understandable because in new york city the the um tenant laws are so lenient that they really want to make sure that they have a strong candidate in there but at the time um i realized that i it was on me like i was upset with my parents initially but it was like Tanya, if your credit was good you wouldn't have to ask your parents to co-sign mm-hmm. on this for you because you you do have a job and so i ended up work i started working on my credit and, um, started sharing. And when I started sharing my experience, I found out a lot of my friends had terrible credit. And so that was when I was like, you know what, I'm going to share what I'm doing and maybe it will help others. And then it started helping more than just the people in my initial circle. And it started helping people who were friends of my relatives and friends of my friends. And I was like, Oh, okay, let me just keep doing this. And then I went to FinCon Mm -hmm. the next year because I was interested in turning it into a, um, a full-time opportunity. And uh, the woman, <laughs> um, she was from um, $5 Meals. I forgot her name it's Yes,
0: name. I Five, know of her, yes.
1: Was on a panel and she was saying how she made $35,000 in a month from her site. And I was like, wait, what? Like, At <laughs> that time I'm working in a nonprofit, first, t- first job out of college essentially. And I'm making $28,000 a year. So to hear that somebody was making $35,000 a month off of a blog, I was like, oh. Sign me let- up figure this out. And so that was when I decided that I was going to monetize Finance and do it full time. And that was 2014, 2015. I resigned from my job. Um, Finance had successfully replaced my other jobs. Um, The next job that I took after, the low-paying job, it successfully replaced that income. And um, we're smoking from there.
0: Smoking is right. So your focus is on Black millennial women, Right.
1: (laughs) Well, and millennial women of color, I mean, you know, money is money, as we know. So it, it really it, I have found in doing my work, you know, Latino women approach me, mm-hmm. um, Middle Eastern women approach me, um, women who feel like they kind of have just been left out of the, the narrative or the financial education system in general um, I, I work with.
0: And I know money is money, but what in your uh, interaction with your community, what are you finding to be some of the singular issues or the complexities, unique complexity that they have been struggling with other than, of course, feeling like no one's been talking to them?
1: In mine, I have found that it is balancing. So my fat finance, one of the things we don't do deprivation as a financial freedom strategy. So we believe in enjoying your life and, you know, us. Occasionally treating yourself, just not at the expense of expense of your peace of mind. And so um, it is balancing experiencing life and what life has to offer while making the right financial decisions and figuring out what the appropriate trade-offs are, if there are any, and how you can still hit your financial milestones while not feeling like you've totally given up on your social life.
0: Well, that's uh, a lot of... That's everybody. <laughs> um, I need to be subscribing to my Fab Finance. Um, but what do you think that going through this process for yourself, building this business, really immersing yourself in the personal finance space with women, women of color, what have you learned about yourself, about your finances in the process?
1: Well, I don't like budgeting. Um, that was—I'm one of those financial educators who is not a fan of budgeting for my personal finances. I know that's like—that's basically. I mean, I could be blackballed for saying that almost, but um, I, I don't like it. Um, I found out that I don't really like structure in general, but you do have to have some structure when it comes to your finances. So, you know, what works for me, I had to find out what works for me. And that is essentially creating buckets and understanding this is what your overhead is. Make sure you have this amount of money set aside for the overhead and, you know, occasionally create a budget to make sure that you're not overspending in certain categories. But as long as you're doing this, as long as you're saving, you're good to go. Um, So that's one of the things I found about myself is that, you know, I just didn't like budgeting. Um the second thing that I found out is that growing up I struggled with math and I was funny I was talking to a friend whose husband is a math teacher and he teaches like fourth grade and I was like oh yeah by fourth grade I was making C's in math. Um and I always felt that because I was terrible at math growing up it gave me a pass to be bad with my money. Mm-hmm. And it, they that doesn't have to be the case. Just because you know you struggled with math or math wasn't your strongest subject, doesn't mean you can't make sound financial decisions. Because your finances are really, it's really about your habit. It's you know? logic
0: too, in some cases, right? Yeah. It, it's trying to uh, learn how to take a handle on, on your emotions. I mean, uh, math <laughs> is like there's calculators, people. I mean, you, the calculators <laughs> will do the math. And I like that you say this because I think this is a false story that a lot of women tell themselves is that I hear this on, even on the podcast from the most successful women business owners who are making tons of money. And they say, my husband runs all the money management because I'm just not good at like crunching the numbers. And I'm like, but (laughs) if you actually shattered him for a day, you'd realize that he's not crunching any numbers. He's not sitting back there with like, you know, um, uh you know an abacus. <laughs>
1: yeah he's not doing anything like that, he's that. not doing anything you can't do. He's yeah. not doing calculus. It's or 2019. He's
0: call he's doing he's running online calculators, you know. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, so we need to give ourselves more credit. And so while we're on this topic of your personal experiences with money I'd love to now journey even further back as I was researching your history with um I mean, you're so well, t- people just have to Google you. Like there's so much content around you. People are obsessed <laughs> with you. Media is obsessed with you. But um, I discovered that, you know, you are a survivor of domestic violence. You were um, born in the Philippines. Uh, what What is your background in terms of your upbringing and also maybe the experiences that were very formative in shaping the way that you are? feel and relate to money. Like we just talked about some of the things that you don't like when it comes to money or things that you don't practice. And I'm wondering if there is a story from long ago about your upbringing, about your cultural background, about your experiences in life that impacted the way that you are today.
1: That's a great question. Uh, you know, I've never really thought about my budgeting, my my reluctance for but my or my disdain for budgeting and how it relates to how I grew up. But it, 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 to an extent, it does because I grew up to um, my, my mother and father were in the military, and so my mother and father are Air Force veterans. They both served twenty plus years in the military, which means I grew up with an incredible amount of structure, and. I, for me to be an entrepreneur now, you know, when I told my parents, I was going to resign and do my job, my finance full time. Um, they were my biggest champions, which was a surprise for me because up until that, I'd been told go to college, get a secure government job, which now we see is not that secure because of the government shutdown, but right. um, they told me to get a secure government job. And, um, that, I I definitely, definitely, definitely pushed back at structure early on in my life and throughout my life, which I think, you know, you, I don't, as a survivor, I don't blame myself for my abusive relationship or my situation that I was in, but I've always kind of been one to dance on the other side of the line. And so when I met my um, then abusive partner um, he just he intrigued me. He was different from everyone else I had grown up with. He was different from anything I experienced. And it resulted in a relationship that was financially, emotionally and physically abusive. And up until that point, I had been pretty I made pretty good financial decisions Um I had moved to Miami, Florida. I had My credit was good enough to finance my own car. I had better credit than um, most of my peers at the time. I had a full-time job as an inventory reconciliator at family dollar up until leaving. So I had saved my money and everything and paid things off. So I was really good with money. And then I met him and he wasn't good with money. And um, it, it was kind of like this ink stain that just overtook my life. But I also look at it as, I don't know if I would have been in the financial position that I was in when I moved to New York City had I not been with him. So that situation lent to me creating my fab finance. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I would have just gone on the proper financial track my entire adulthood, I probably wouldn't have cared about teaching other people about money. I would have found another way to serve people. I, I have some so, social service degrees, but I probably would have found another way to serve people other than my fab finance. But what is what I love about my particular journey is that it's authentic. It's what I've walked. And I um, just recently finished writing a book financially preparing for a baby because that was you know, a part of my journey um, recently. And so I always want to share from experience with my fab finance so that I can be confident. And um, I feel like that silences that imposter syndrome that kind of arises in all of us.
0: I've had a, an epiphany recently, maybe I don't want to call it an epiphany because it's not like super deep thoughts, but you, men- you mentioned something that reminded me of kind of how women relate to money and why money, You know, you're, how we can get motivated and really mobilized around this idea of being good money managers. And that is that if we just tell more women and we show more women through your story and other stories that money equals freedom, and choices and the ability to afford leaving bad situations because, okay. you know, you talked about kind of feeling trapped or, you know, there's so many women that can't leave bad situations because whether it's a bad job, a bad partner, because they don't feel financially secure. And I think that message we need to really amplify because for women, that is that is the connection that we need to hear, right? It's not like money is power. We always say money is power in society. And I'm like, great, but what about freedom? What about your independence? What about your ability to make your own choices on your own terms? That's powerful, but I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just package that as power. That to me is freedom. And that is, I think, really more um, akin to what women really want.
1: I love that you you state that because I just last year I participated in um, Paulette Perak from our the financial community. She wrote uh, she has the F-off fund. And that's what I said. Money isn't everything, but money gives you options. And when you especially as a woman, when you make financial decisions that are in your best interest. Um, it just, it it gives you so many more options as far as, you know, remaining in a toxic work relationship, a toxic person, in a personal relationship, a toxic familial relationship. It just really, um, gives you the option of saying, you know what, this doesn't serve me and I'm going to walk away from it. And I'll be just fine when I walk away. And so I definitely agree with you on that. And I, um, I think for women, it's really important To Remember that is that, you know, when you give away your money to a, you know, to buy, you know, a luxury handbag or to buy, you know, a luxury vehicle or whatever it may be. If you don't have money set aside, then that's a portion of your power and your options you're giving away. And is it worth that?
0: That is the trade-off. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Tell me about your New Year's money resolution. Uh, This is a question brought to us by our sponsor, Chase, and we're curious to know um, from all the guests so far in the beginning of the year, what's on your to-do list, your money goal for 2019?
1: So my money goal, um, last year our money goal was to save to buy a house. Um, This year, my money goal is to really hunker down on my retirement. Um you know when I resigned from my job to do my Fed finance full time, I uh, put my retirement on hold, my retirement contributions on hold just until my income normalized and then I started contributing a little bit more and then we got pregnant. And um, so now I'm really focusing on my retirement as well as my son. So it is maxing out my retirement contributions for the year and maxing out his 529 plan. So that's my goal is to just ball out on my retirement.
0: Nothing like becoming a parent to set your priorities straight. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Or at least to like really take you to the next level. And so I wrote this piece once about how becoming a mom has made me richer, Yeah, which is – not what you normally would expect when you become a parent, because there are so many costs. a lot of parents like go in the dark, go you know in the in the red when they become parents. But what has been your exp- experience? I mean, I know it's so new, but do you feel like you're tr- becoming a mother has um, has kind of lit a fire in you, a new fire to go out there and do even more?
1: Absolutely. I was very intentional about my motherhood journey and the type of motherhood experience I wanted to have, given that my mom and dad were in the military. And so when you're in the military, the government tells you to go, you go. And um, my mom was um, sent to Korea for a year when my sister and I, when we relocated from Oklahoma to North Carolina. And so that really stuck with me that Even though she wanted to be with us during that transition, her job told her she couldn't be. And so I always said I wanted to be a present parent. I didn't want any outside forces to tell me how I would be, um, how I could show up for my children. And so with my pregnancy experience, being my own boss during that time allowed me to call the first trimester. You know, I I stopped accepting opportunities and engagements and just focused on getting through the first trimester, which was just like, whoa. Um, And Even in the days following his birth, just being the ability to be present, the ability to see, you know, him change every day as children do ability just to be part of his life in this capacity. I don't want to give this up. And so it forces me to think about ways that I can safeguard my business and other opportunities that I can uh, put in place so that I can continue to show up for him and be present for him throughout his life and any other children that we might have. So. It's, it's just really forced me to think about um, passive revenue streams instead mm-hmm. of active revenue streams so that I can if I want to homeschool, I can, you know, and, and we don't experience a significant loss of income because I made that decision. So it definitely has lit a fire under me to just to figure out more passive revenue streams.
0: Well, taking a page from your latest book, what is the most important advice for parents, women in particular, who have that child? Because here's what I'll tell you, and you probably know this, but I just came into this statistic, and it's kind of scary that, uh, so there's this recent academic study, I think it was Harvard and a couple other universities, you know, no big, um, and they found (laughs) out that the number of women in the workforce today is pretty much on par with the number of women in the workforce in 1985. And so then they unpacked this and they are like, what is going on? Because we're more educated now, like, hello. Yeah. Uh, Like, this is so perplexing. they found that there's a huge drop off of women who leave the workforce after having kids, which I guess is no surprise. However, the saddest part about all of this is that the women who are opting out didn't want to opt out. They were the women who were the like the MBA holding women, the graduates of college, the ambitious career driven women who thought, okay, well, I want to have a baby now and continue my career, but then arrived at motherhood Overwhelmed, un- unanticipating, not only the costs of parenting, which is enough to make your stomach go, you know, upside down, but also like the time commitment, right? The physical uh, capacity that you need to be able to parent well. And so they do this sort of back of the napkin math and they're like, well, I'm making this and child is this. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm not even able to see my kids. So I'm going to opt out and not have a plan for getting back in the workforce. And it's, uh, it's to me, this is, um, the it's, I don't want to sound extreme, but it's sort of the death knell <laughs> of women in society when we can't support women to be able to have the, that family life work balance. Um, and men too, to some extent, uh, they feel this pressure too. But like, if we can't create systems and, um, a society that can support this, then we're going to lose more women in the workforce. And that's that's the death knell to society. We need diversity in the workforce, starting with men and women at the table. Um, so that's my that's my little like spiel on that. But my question for you is, what is your biggest piece of financial advice for moms to be? Let's talk about moms who aren't there yet, right? They're like looking ahead. They're a little not, they're uncertain about how they're gonna juggle it all. Tell us something good.
1: I mean, I would honestly say minimize your debt, minimize minimize your debt and build your savings. Because those are the two things I would say – If you were to decide I'm not going back to the workforce and we are going to have to restrict our income, um, being debt free is incredibly powerful because you don't owe anybody else other than maybe your mortgage. And, you know, the the other responsibilities. But that makes it so much easier to walk away when you don't have as many outstanding financial obligations and then having money and savings, just continuing to save because you'll need savings for the unexpected. Um, when (laughs) When my son was born, We had we we ended up having three baby showers because we lived so many places. So we had so many (laughs) items. We were on a tour. Good on
0: you. That's rule number one. Have everyone (laughs) else get you the stuff. Exactly. Yeah, we called it tour les bébés.
1: So we were like (laughs) on a tour, and um, we had gotten these this expensive bassinet because me not being a mother, but I just like he's going to sleep in the bassinet when he comes, and he hated it. Like the first couple of nights I was like, what's going on? What's wrong with my baby? Is my baby broken? And it was that he was going through the first, the fourth trimester. And so we ended up deciding, um, that bed sharing was for us, even though some people don't like to do. It. A lot of people don't like to do, it, and there's a lot of warnings against it. But in order for me to safely do it, we had to like upgrade our entire bedroom. So we got a king. Like that same week, I'm ordering a king bed on Amazon, everything to go with it, yeah. everything. That was like a king size mattress, and it was just like this is just one weekend. Like what? We just did our entire bedroom over for him one week in, and you know, like just. There are so many unexpected occurrences and things that will go completely left when you think they're going to go right when you have a baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went to get a circumcision done and they were like, oh, yeah, your insurance considers it a optional, a cosmetic procedure. So you need to pay out of pocket. And that's like right there about to get it done. So (laughs) thanks. Here goes this four hundred dollars. So it's just like there are so many things that you will not expect to happen that you just have money in savings for the unexpected because the unexpected will occur.
0: Wow. I I mean those are some really uh those specifics of what those extra costs were. <laughs> you don't often you don't often get that kind of detail, you know? You you always hear like, oh, it's expensive. But like thank you for thank you for those examples and sorry. <laughs> uh, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, just having uh, having a clean bill of debt you know, is just, uh, it's not just great from a uh, bookkeeping standpoint, but also from your mental capacity, like your stress level, right? And not having that stress is everything.
1: Yeah. There are so many other things you'll be stressed out about. Oh my God. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. That's about everything. (laughs) So just to not have to worry about debt, and how much money you have available to you. And I'm part of a momming group and there's so many mothers who weren't financially prepared and their experience is so different from mine because I'm like, Well, I was financially prepared, so mm-hmm. the thing I thought about is just like how many poops did he take today? Versus <laughs> can we feed like can we eat yeah. tonight? You know, it's it's very different and um it allows it allows you to parent better, in my experience, because you can focus on the
0: parenting and not yeah you you focus know, on the baby. Affording <laughs> the parenting, yes, exactly, exactly. Tanya, we have a few minutes left, and so I'd love to do some so many fill in the blanks. Where you just, I love these, <laughs> you just like fill in the blank and don't don't overthink it. Okay, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is. This is, oh,
1: this is so cliche. I, I buy my dad a boat. Um, oh. I, I, would, I would buy my dad a boat. Um, that is, that is the one thing that I promised my dad that I would do. And I'm such a daddy's girl and being a parent, yeah, you didn't need me to say all that. So buy my dad a boat.
0: No, but this is why I, I ask these fill in the blanks, because it brings up so many, you know interesting stories. and
1: Yeah, and that's the one thing he's always wanted is, his, is a boat. He had a boat when we moved to North Carolina. he sold it because of his incredible financial obligation. And um, he now that my son is here, he picked up motorcycles, but that's dangerous, and so he really wants to start riding a boat again. And and he wants to get a boat again, so I want to buy him a boat so that he's safer um, and not on a motorcycle anymore, and it's something I promised him.
0: Love that. Well, fingers crossed, Dad, that you're going to get this boat.
1: (laughs) get your boat, Dad.
0: Um, One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: Hair care. So if anybody – I have a big afro. I have a lot of hair, and – I just don't like doing it. I, I don't I don't like it. I don't I don't like maintaining it. And so hair care, like just having someone else do that. That's self care for me, having someone else massage my scalp, trim my ends, and take care of my hair, which has now become my signature. So um that and daycare, like our nanny. I, those two things oh, yeah. cannot turn away from me. They can't be. I will go kicking and screaming.
0: <laughs> All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is How to invest and invest early. That's a lot of women say that on my episodes is, uh, you know, I'm one of them. I didn't get the investing tutorials growing up. And frankly, I I just figured like, oh, that's just a like boys are into that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't think they were cooler for it. I just thought, oh, who has the time? Seems so complex. Yeah. I just look at how
1: far along I would have been now if I would invest early on. Like We would have bought Amazon back when it first (laughs) went public. Much.
0: Yeah, so investing. Yeah. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because
1: a cause called Tiny Blessings Nonprofit in the mm-hmm. Philippines. Um, I was born there. I have a friend who was actually my nail tech, and now he, he just decided to pick up and move to the Philippines and help the street kids of the Philippines. And I love how he. He shares how your money is being utilized. And so like if you donate, he'll be like, okay, we bought XYZ meals for the kids or we bought these outfits or you know, we put this person in school because of your money. And so the Tiny Blessings nonprofit out of the Philippines.
0: I love that, Tiny Blessings. All right, and last but not least, I'm Tanya Rapley. I'm so money because?
1: I figured this out. <laughs> I, I'm so money because I figured out how to make money work for me. And because of that, I'm living my best
0: life. I love that. You must be so proud of yourself. How, your parents must be proud of you too.
1: They, you know, at first they thought I was a little crazy. My, you know, then my mom was like, "What?" Especially like I told you, I struggled in math. So my mom was like, "What? You? Oh, okay. You're gonna be a financial educator." And now they are. They, they, I, I shocked us all. <laughs> I shocked myself. I shocked us all. And uh, it's incredibly fulfilling, though, to see those transformations in other people's lives. Because there's a lot of people who felt like money was escaping them, so mm. seeing the the transformation of other people 's lives is actually the most empowering work
0: well, thank you for paying it forward and, and ch- teaching so many people the ways of the the money world and um, for being transparent and congrats on all the things, mommyhood, your books, your development deal. I, I want to like catch up again in a few months or however, you know, whenever you, you're up for air again and, and kind of catch up because things are happening sounds like so quickly for you. It's great. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: And thank you. Thank you, Farnoosh, for laying the groundwork. I mean, I know when I got started and so forth, you know, you're you're one of the women who laid the groundwork as far as women in this industry and being a mother in this industry. So thank you for laying that groundwork and showing us all was possible.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Have a great, great rest of your year, but hopefully we'll catch up before the end of uh, 2019. It's a must. We must. You can learn more about Tanya at tanyarapley.com as well as myfabfinance.com and you can follow both Tanya and myfabfinance on Instagram at tanya.rapley and at myfabfinance. Her book again is called The Money Manual, a practical money guide to help you succeed on your financial journey and definitely, definitely check out her latest book on parenting, so needed right now. Thanks for tuning in everybody and I hope your day is so money.